Well, if you'd open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians, Strength and Weakness, and tonight we come to chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. This is what it says. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. An ambassador is an honest gentleman sent to lie abroad for the good of his country. That's how Henry Watton famously described the role of an ambassador. An honest gentleman sent to lie abroad for the good of his country. True or not, I don't know. Um, Certainly, maybe not a great thing, but it may be the perception. An ambassador. Perhaps not a a good one to to have, at least if it's speaking about us. Someone who's carrying out the mission at all costs, even if it requires deception. The main question we'll be considering tonight is, what does it look like to live as an ambassador for Christ? Because it may be that a political ambassador may be someone who is sent to lie abroad for the good of his country, although hopefully not a Christian ambassador, But an ambassador for Christ surely can't live that kind of life, one that is hypocritical, that says one thing but does another. And of course, course, Paul does declare himself to be an ambassador, but of a different kind than the one that Henry Watton's describing there. Paul was an ambassador for Christ. So what does this mean? What is the work? Certainly, it's not to lie for the sake of Christ. Certainly, that's not it. But rather, to, yes, be his representative, bearing the message of reconciliation with God to the world. 
and doing so not with deceit but with honesty, with openness, with freedom, with sincerity. So what does it look like? That's what we're going to aim to highlight today. Because as we come to this point in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, verses 11 to 21, Paul has been painting this grand picture of God's saving work. As Josh Maurer helpfully preached it to us last week, and he summarized it this way, reconciled sinners reconciling sinners. God reconciled sinners to himself, justifying them by the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven, and that we may no longer be called God's enemies, but rather his friends. And it is to those people, reconciled sinners, that God has given the mission of reconciling sinners to himself. So he says in verse 18, in chapter 5, if you scan your eyes there, Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And again, in verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Perhaps that's a better description for an ambassador, certainly an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador for Christ is a reconciled sinner reconciling sinners. So the theological groundwork's been laid. God reconciles, reconciles sinners to himself, and those he reconciles, he sends out with a message and a mission. That's how God's done it. He's designed it that way. And so in, in verse 20, Paul puts it this way, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so Paul, of course, is primarily speaking of himself as, a, as, an, as an apostle. But of course, it's also true for us today. And yes, for, for pastors and elders and missionaries and evangelists, but, but also for all of us, all Christians who have been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus, every one of us, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so as Paul moves from chapter 5 into chapter 6, he takes this theological groundwork that he's laid and he applies it. If that's our mission, if that's our job, then how do we do it? What does it look like to live as an ambassador for Christ? So Paul demonstrates in practical form by, by using his own life, his own ministry as an apostle, what it means to enact that mission, to live as an ambassador for Christ. So what, what does it look like? Three things this passage demonstrates. Words, life, and heart. So first, we see words. As an ambassador for Christ, there are words to speak. There's an appeal to make. And we see it right there in verse 1. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Paul's working together with him, working together with God. God's the one who's entrusted him with a message. He's an ambassador. God's making his appeal through Paul. And so Paul didn't speak on his own authority, but on the authority of God who appointed him. He didn't speak his own message, but the message of God who gave it to him. He didn't speak in his own strength, but in the strength of God who strengthened him. If it was true for Paul, the apostle, 
Surely that has to be true for us today. That when we speak, we don't speak our own message. We speak God's message, the gospel. Our authority doesn't come from what we've achieved, but rather for what God has done for us. We're simply reconciled sinners, reconciling sinners, ambassadors for Christ, working together with him. And as one working together with God, as ambassadors for Christ, there are words to speak. There's an appeal to make. That's what the role entails. We appeal to you, Paul says, not to receive the grace of God in vain. And we see here Paul's concern for these Corinthian Christians Yes, they've received the gospel, at least in the sense that they've heard it from him, and they've accepted it, at least in some fashion, but he's worried about them. You see his heart here, because he's speaking to them here, in a sense, as if they're unbelievers. They've they've received the gospel. Have they believed it? Of course, if we were to scan down to chapter 6, verse 14, just down the page, Paul's quite clearly speaking to them as believers. And then if we were to go even further, chapter 7, verse 4, he expresses great confidence in them. He expresses pride in them because they've received Titus well, and that's encouraging, but Paul's still concerned for them. Will they receive him? He's the one working together with God. If we were to flip forward to chapter 11, we would see that concern quite clearly. A few verses in chapter 11, he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. They're being wishy-washy. And he's concerned for their spiritual well-being. And so what does he do? He appeals personally to them. That they might not receive the grace of God in vain. That they might not simply hear the gospel, yet fail to believe it. It's a bold appeal, isn't it? And Paul says it. This springs from Deep, deep confidence in the saving work of God. We see it in verse 2. He, he grounds this appeal um, f- from, a, from a quotation from Isaiah, Isaiah 49. He says, In a favorable time I've listened to you, and in a day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And, and so Isaiah was looking forward to a day when the faithful would be saved by the work of a servant even through the servant's weakness and suffering. And so Paul boldly claims what was promised in Isaiah 49 has actually happened. It's come to pass in the work of Christ. Through Christ, this new age of ministry, this day of salvation, this new age has begun. The doors have been flung wide open and everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. To accept the gospel is to accept the saving, reconciling work of God through Jesus Christ. Christ has died. 
Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Today is the day. Now is the time. Salvation is open to all through the person and work of Jesus. Now, today, Paul says, salvation's on offer. How could you not accept it? Maybe that's for you this evening. Maybe you have yet to believe the gospel. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you received it in that sense, but have yet to believe it. Friend, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today could just be the day. The door's been flung wide open by Jesus. For our sake, he made him who knew, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and be reconciled to him, no longer an enemy of God but a friend. Now is the time, today is the day. I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God today. That's the appeal, isn't it? The appeal of an ambassador for Christ. Those are the words. It's a core aspect of being an ambassador for Christ, isn't it? But it's so easy to ignore. How often do those of us who are in Christ fail to use our words to make that appeal? Even to those we know and love. When I was in high school, there was over on Main Street a little independent coffee shop called Las Piazza. Um, if, if you've been around Wheaton for a while, you might remember it. Um, it was kind of your classic independent coffee shop of the time, like old couches, very, very anti, like big chain kind of feel there. Um, and, and I remember on the cash register, they had a bumper sticker, friends don't let friends drink Starbucks, <laughs> as if Starbucks was the worst thing to happen to the world or something. Uh, friends don't let friends drink Starbucks. <laughs> the friends don't let friends slip away. Friends don't let friends receive the grace of God in vain. We're ambassadors for Christ. And we have a message of salvation. We have the very words of life. Paul just wouldn't let these people go. Would that be true for us as well? He was their spiritual father, yet they'd rejected him, but still, he was unwilling to just let them slip away. He made his appeal again and again and again. If I'm honest with myself, this is a challenge. It's hard. My guess is we all have people in our lives that this is a difficult appeal to make them. But it's the work, the work of an ambassador for Christ. We work together with him. The appeal, be reconciled to God. So what does it look like to live as an ambassador for Christ? First words, but also second, life. And this is what Paul digs into in verses 3 to 10, because he's appealed with his words in verses 1 and 2. Now he's detailing the way he's lived. 
the way he's done his ministry. And, and he's already done this in this letter before, um, back in chapter 4. He's going to do it again in chapters 11 and 12, but, but he does it here for a specific reason. He, he puts out the specifics of his ministry, as he says in verse 3, to put no obstacles in anyone's way, that no fault may be found with his ministry. To make sure there's nothing about his life that would keep people from reasonably, uh, that would reasonably keep the Corinthians from embracing him and the gospel he preached. It wasn't say one thing and do another, in other words. This must be true for any minister of the gospel, any ambassador. The way we live matters. We can't preach one thing and then do another and expect our appeal to mean something. So there's a real call for each one of us who claims the name of Christ to do some honest evaluation. Do our actions line up with our appeal? Of course, none of us is perfect. We all fail in many ways. So we have to be honest with ourselves. Do the hard work. Repent when our life doesn't match up with with the message we speak. We need to trust in God's grace. He He forgives. (laughs) But Paul wanted to make sure he put no, one, no obstacle in anyone's way that might keep him from receiving Jesus. So how does he commend himself? What, what does it look like for, in his logic? It's maybe not what we'd expect. It's certainly not what the Corinthians would have expected because he starts in verse 4 by highlighting his weakness. Enduring and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. In other words, his weakness. His outer self was wasting away, yet he endured through it all. That's how he first commends himself, his weakness, but then his strength in verses 6 and 7. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Paul's strength was not an outward letter of recommendation like so many of his opponents had, but the inward fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in him. And it was in fact through the trials and weaknesses that his strength was displayed. Because as we come to the last bit of this section, verses 8 to 10, where Paul's highlighting, it comes to the, to the climax of this, Paul's highlighting the gospel paradox of strength and weakness. This is ultimately how he commends himself. This is how he puts no obstacle in anyone's way. In verses 8 and 9, through honor and dishonor, slander and praise, treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, dying, behold, we live, punished and not yet killed. For Paul, Whether he was honored or dishonored, whether he was slandered or praised, he endured. He was treated as an imposter apostle. Yet he he had the words of life. He was the true apostle. He was unknown and misunderstood by many, yet fully known by God. Dying and punished in one sense, yet at the same time more alive than you'd ever know just by looking at him. If only the Corinthians would look at this frail, weak man and see the vast amount of strength that was at work in him. That's what Paul wanted. 
Because he comes to this high point in verse 10. His life is sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. At the same time, gospel paradox. Strength in weakness. Or to put it in Paul's language from the end of chapter 4, the outer self, the transient things, the things that are seen, those are the sorrow, the poverty, the lack. Yet at the very same time, there are things of the inner self, the eternal things, the unseen things. He's always rejoicing, making many rich, possessing everything. It's not just that he's weak or just that he's strong, but rather it is in and through the weakness that God's strength is most clearly shown. In this lies the secret of genuine gospel ministry. Where some would downplay weakness and highlight their strength, letters of recommendation, trappings of success, Paul, he knew the secret. He was happy to put his weakness on display since it was through that weakness that God's glory was seen most clearly. As he put it in chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. His life matched up with his message. (laughs) An ambassador for Christ is not only in word, but also in life. Ultimately, this is why the life of an ambassador for Christ matters so much. We're simply walking in line with our, with our Savior because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, yet a man full of the deepest joy. He had no place to lay his head, yet he opened the door for many to the riches of the kingdom of God. He at once had nothing and yet possessed all authority in heaven and on earth. It was through the cross that his mission was accomplished. And we work together with him. We're his ambassadors. We work in his service. We follow his pattern. Strength in weakness. Of course, each one of us experiences a different level, different types of difficulty and suffering in our lives. Most of us are not called to the vast extent of suffering that that Paul was. But the Bible is clear that anyone who desires to follow Jesus will experience some sort of suffering, persecution. What we're reminded of here, it's not simply endure now to get something better later, but rather that it is so often through our weakness that the glory of God is most clearly displayed. Johnny Erickson Tata put it this way. Of course, she's a quadriplegic. Johnny Erickson Tata put it this way. God deliberately chooses weak, suffering, and unlikely candidates to get his work done so that, in the end, the glory goes to God and not to the person. It might just be that the present weakness you're experiencing is the very means God is using to make his appeal clear to someone else. 
It may just be that it is through the deep sorrows that flood your soul that God intends for someone to look at your life and say, I I just got to know, how is that person sorrowful yet always rejoicing? It may just be that it's through the material lack that you're experiencing that someone will look at your life and God is using it, that person will look and say, I just got to know. How can someone with so little spread so much abundance? It may just be that it's through your emptiness that someone will look at your life and the way God is using it is to say, I I just got to know. How can someone who seems to have nothing be so content? I just got to know. It may just be that it is through your present weakness that God desires to display the wonders of his strength to those around you. Ambassadors for Christ. Powered by his spirit, yes. Strength in weakness, in words, and in life. Words, life, and finally, heart. Verses 11 to 13 bring us, of course, to the emotional conclusion of Paul's argument in in this section to the Corinthians. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, he says. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. It's an emotional moment. To you, Corinthians, it's a personal moment. It's, it's like, it's as if Paul's bringing down his eyes from the, from the lofty heights of chapter 5 and he's bringing them right down from the grand global reconciliation work and bringing his vision right down to the Corinthians and saying, you, I'm talking to you. I want you. My heart is open to you. I've spoken freely to you, he says. My my mouth's been wide open to you. My my heart is wide open to you. There's no restriction, Paul says. I just want reconciliation. It's personal. It's emotional. He's saying we, we haven't played games with our message. We've spoken the clear, honest, forthright truth of the gospel. Our hearts are open to you. We we haven't done anything for our own game, but only for your good. For the glory of God, in our words, in our life, in our affections, there's nothing us holding back from you. We want to be reconciled. The restriction doesn't lie in Paul's heart, but in theirs. The problem in the relationship doesn't lie in him, it's in them. It has to be a two-way street, and so, so he, he wants them to widen their hearts also. Spiritual father speaking to his beloved children. Any issue they had that was keeping them from reconciling with him was actually an issue with the gospel at work in and through him. They had issues with his strength and weakness ministry. They didn't like it too much. And Paul is saying here, if you have an issue with this, you have an issue ultimately with the gospel. To reject reconciliation with Paul, who was God's chosen messenger, 
who spoke and lived the gospel, that was to receive the grace of God in vain. And Paul did not want that. His emotions were open. His whole life was open. His deep desire was for the Corinthians. He had great love for them. And it motivated and guided every aspect of his work for them that his children might be reconciled to God. That's the desire. Not just words, not even just life, but an open heart. An open heart. As ambassadors for Christ, our desire for others to be reconciled to God ought to be so great that our words, our life, and even our hearts are wide open to people. Completely open. That when we face suffering, we endure for them. When we appeal, we appeal for them for the sake of others. To the point where we can look them in the eye and say, everything in my being is open to you so that you might be reconciled to God. I've held nothing back. And to do this even when it's hard. Even when we're rejected again and again and again. Even when our heart is wide open and theirs is stopped up. Or as Paul famously put it in 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Because this is, of course, how Christ has treated us, isn't it? While we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. May our hearts also be open that others may be reconciled to God. Ambassadors for Christ in words, in life, and in heart. Because now is the favorable time, is it not? Now is the day of salvation. Reconciliation with God is available to all. And amazingly, in God's grand design, in his infinite wisdom, he's made us his ambassadors. We work together with him. Our appeal to be reconciled to God, our life our weakness demonstrating God's strength, our heart wide open to all for his glory and for the good of the world. That's what it looks like. As the famous line puts it, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. God, we need your strength For to live as your ambassadors, we recognize that we need your help. Would you please give us boldness to speak the words of the gospel to those around us? Would you please give us strength to live a life that is honoring to you and matches up with our message? Would you please give us a heart that is wide open to all, even when it's hard? Would you please use us as well in your service that you may be glorified, that many might be reconciled to you, and then in the age to come that we might have many reasons to praise your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.